0: understanding how the business operates, how data is moving and how people are actually operating on that infrastructure, how they move and interact with that data provides the context necessary to more easily determine if there is a negative or malicious intent with, with respect to identity and insider threat.
1: From Exabeam, this is the new CISO, a show about the people who lead IT security teams, the challenges they face, and how they overcome them. If you like what you hear, please rate, review, and subscribe to hear our new episodes first. I'm Steve Moore, and today I speak with Tyler Farrar from Maxar Technologies. Tyler shares misconceptions about what threat intelligence is, why it's important not to assume malicious intent, And we talk about his approach to compliance versus security. As the lines between what threat intelligence is and isn't blur, how can a military-style approach add clarity? What's the value in defining use cases? And why is it important to understand that a mature insider threat program extends beyond just the technical? Okay, uh, Tyler, if you would, for the uninitiated do us a favor. Tell us who you are. Yeah, my name is Tyler
0: Farrar. I lead the cybersecurity and governance function at Maxar Technologies, and we are a satellite imagery and satellite manufacturing company.
1: Now, Tyler, you didn't start there. Where did you get your start in IT, in IT security?
0: Yeah, I started um, really back in the U.S. Navy spent a lot of time as a cryptologic warfare officer, and majority of my responsibilities were within U.S. Cyber Command. They have an operational component called the Cyber National Mission Forces, and our team was responsible for protecting U.S. critical infrastructure with the ability to have uh, response action to play in the offensive cyberspace.
1: At a very high level, you mentioned there's an offensive component to that, but as that sort of type of warfare officer, in lay terms, what was your specific mission? So you as a leader, you are responsible for what specifically?
0: Majority responsibilities were twofold. The first responsibility was really around managing and leading a team of U.S. Navy sailors and civilians on Analysis and production. And if you can think about the life cycle of any military mission from conducting an operation, identifying some type of intelligence, acting upon that intelligence, and then reengaging within that cycle, that's what we did. We would conduct operations, understand the data, turn that data into intel, and then go do something else with that intelligence and repeat that cycle. And for each operation that was uh, executed within my team, I would be responsible for mission commanding of that operation.
1: You hit on some things that often get missed, uh, at least on what I see on the civilian side. There's many organizations that claim that they have an intel team or an intel function. What is the line that you draw? Obviously, doing it for the government when you have satellites and guns and things is different than doing it for private industry. But I think the function, there is some carryover that we get wrong. Do you agree and do you think that that private organizations take Intel, the analysis and production as seriously? And what can they learn to do better, in your opinion?
0: I think in general, the, the term threat intelligence is... Too broadly used. Many folks uh, utilize the words threat intelligence to even be looking for something as simplistic nowadays as indicators of compromise. That's not threat intelligence. So, actually taking on intelligence from third party uh, resources, tools that are within the team's tool suite, and forming a hypothesis about a threat actor and what their potential tactics, techniques, and procedures are, and then going to do that research on that hypothesis to answer, does this question hold true? Does this theory hold true? Yes or no? And and where you go down that path, in my personal opinion, what threat intelligence is, it is taking legitimate sources, either from, again, externally or internally, forming a hypothesis about what that means within the company's internal corporate network, and then acting upon that hypothesis
1: to see if it holds true. So I have a couple points to add and questions on that. I want to start with a question. So then if that in fact is the process, and I find this fascinating, I have a similar approach when people say they're threat hunting, we would do the exact same thing in terms of forming this hypothesis. Could this happen effectively? Then I think the other place this falls down for many organizations is they find it, and then it's not used downstream or upstream. Maybe the case to improve or uh, you know work to better. In this case, maybe disrupt the goal of the adversary or further better break the cycle of compromise. Is to you is that an accurate statement, or is does it go even beyond that?
0: I think it's an accurate statement, and it's a complex problem to solve. There are so many different avenues that one can go down to act upon that information. There's enterprise risk, there's updating, you know, tools and and monitoring solutions. There's discussions at the executive level. And ultimately it becomes so overwhelming with these paths that as you mentioned, then nothing happens at all. You you sit on that information. So having and going back to initial questions around some of my background, having the full intelligence life cycle and being able to have a repeatable process where you do act on that information, you can think of it and liken it to a military operation to where uh, that military unit acts upon that intelligence through an operation, data is then discovered, data is then analyzed, intelligence is formed, and then the cycle repeats itself. I would highly recommend that we utilize that same type of technique within the private sector as well.
1: Many organizations are unable, or maybe lack the discipline, to perform these types of experiments, I think, on their environment and, you know, maybe even get too far caught up into things like attribution, rather than looking at how information can further enrich their capabilities or even understanding of their own environment. To me, it's one of the most misunderstood things that we have in our industry. People tend to very much love this sort of loading and matching process where we buy these, you said this earlier, even these IOCs or maybe indicators and load them up and see if we have a hit. And that's sort of our Intel program without any sort of goal typically. And and that to me is a waste of time. I don't know you've seen uh, more than anybody seem to have a nice handle on this. Is there anything else that you would comment? If someone's listening and falls into the the example I just described, and you could come in and put the pause button on that program, you press pause, what's the first thing that you start to talk about to, to maybe realign them?
0: Oh, absolutely. I 100% agree with you. There are uh, too many instances of a mindset that the more logs that we get, and ingest into this platform, the better. The more visibility we'll have and the, the more refined actions we can take, that is not true. That does not hold true. There are many different types of log sources that hold zero value when you start to talk about threat detection and incident response. Taking the pause and working through what are the outcomes, what are the key outcomes that you want to achieve that you're that your team wants to achieve, your operations team wants to achieve. And identifying what those outcomes are will start to formulate what use cases that you can apply to your monitoring platform of choice and will then point you in the right direction for, okay, what, what what will achieve that outcome? What log source would achieve that outcome? But taking the pause understanding what you're trying to achieve through outcome based uh, through an outcome based approach is a much better way to
1: not get caught up in the noise than the example you just provided can you give an example because you said outcome and then you you said use case and those are there's a relationship between the two but i want to focus first on on outcome how would you define in lay terms you're speaking with a ciso someplace who is maybe not quite on target, what is an outcome as it relates to this discussion?
0: An outcome as it relates to this discussion would be centered around, I want my operations team to quickly identify and act upon a threat. We would apply use cases to be something such as, well, I want to know when data moves from our corporate network to a cloud storage solution.
1: And there could be a variety of use cases that require a variety of log sources, for example, that fall within different types of cloud environments that require kind of a different level of engineering in order to have that up-level outcome. Is that accurate? Oh, absolutely.
0: Absolutely. And as you sit down and and start to walk through specific use cases for your organization, for your program, uh, that next step is, what, what is the, the data, the information that will lead us to
1: identifying when this use case occurs? One of the things that I used to do with some folks uh, that have a similar background to yours, they educated me greatly on this. There's two folks uh, in particular they knew know who they are. There was sort of a formula that we created, and even with the, the outcome mindset, it's not to boil the ocean, but it's sort of this, again, this formula to say, I want to be able to do this, I have a need, there's a requirement to know this, and whatever that is, is sort of a plain language discussion of the need. And then we start talking about what's the point of visibility, it could be multiple, What's the element of enrichment, ideally in an automated way? What is the response mechanism or whether that's automated or not? And what's the way that we measure it and what's the way that we test it? So we had this sort of chart, if you will, or formula, and then we could walk anyone through that if they had questions. And furthermore, if there was a missing piece in our formula we could then use that to drive discussions for, it could be funding, it could be cooperation to say, I have all of what I need, but I just don't have visibility, right? Or whatever that may be. And so I don't know if, if, you know, you've been doing this longer than I have, and you had a career that began in this space. Is there anything that you would add to that or correct to my statement in lay terms, in terms of thinking about how to begin with this?
0: That's the exact same approach that we have taken. The tools that we leverage and the capabilities that we continuously employ across Maxar far extends outside of just my organization. We are a clear defense contractor. We do have a very mature insider threat program, and insider threat falls well outside of just a technical aspect. There's a lot of administrative overhead and a whole strategy and roadmap to that. And that being said, we have to partner very closely closely. With other stakeholders within the business, one of those being more of that in US government industrial security organization. And that is exactly the approach that we have to take. They cannot get caught up, and nor should they, and and nor do they really fully understand what log sources would inform a use case and lead us to an outcome. However, if you take the approach that you just mentioned and sit down and walk through that formula, What are you trying to achieve? What do you want to know? Then we can sit back down and and plug those variables into that formula and easily identify what are the technical components that will yield the outcome that they desire, which also yields the outcome we desire, but ultimately all feeds into the same uh, platform and, and overall insider threat program, as an example.
1: This is one of the things I love most about being able to host this show. So I think the listeners now know that you know we kind of do a casual meetup and then we record a show later on. And I didn't even have any of this uh, on my docket to discuss with Tyler today, but this has already been to me so interesting uh, to hear this, that we didn't even plan on covering this and yet we're doing that. And And I love it because I think a lot of people get it wrong. So my goal is to sort of inform and maybe move the needle for the listeners and their programs. So thank you, Tyler. You brought up insider threat and sort of other constituents. As you work with your peers outside of your employer, just in general, insider threat gets a lot of traction. People are talking about it. But again, I think it's an area that a lot of people sort of goof up. Um, How do you not goof up insider threat? The human being is one of the
0: the most complex things on this planet. And insider threat is very uh, difficult to to execute upon from a programmatic perspective. There is no one answer. I will provide you uh, some of the techniques that we've leveraged. Um, As you are monitoring accounts, we always make an assumption that it is not a nefarious action. It is not a malicious threat actor. There's no negative intent of the employee, of the user. And in doing so, we try to keep that managed at the cybersecurity function, reaching out to the employee when necessary, and uh, working with them to understand why that activity took place. And and 99% of the time, it is completely uh, not nefarious. However, that 1% of the time it is, and it's, you have to be very cautious. There's so many complexities into understanding the actual activity of the account of the person and what you do next. And quickly, you have to take that pause again and determine whether or not the right approach is to escalate to other insider threat program members outside of my organization, or do you still reach out? And how do you reach out? When do you reach out? What do you say? It's very sensitive because potential operational loss, operational disruption, excuse me, and data loss could occur. With that being said, it's very complex. Now, going forward, and what you what you look at from a programmatic perspective is you're you're continuing to uh, document on an ongoing basis the activity that you're seeing, other risks that come in through. Enterprise risk management, et cetera. And you're formulating all this, you're bringing this all together. And and what we have employed is an insider threat risk working group meets quarterly. And we talk more strategically about what we've seen. What are the trends? uh, What could happen next? What preventative controls do we need to place? What security awareness and training and communications do we need to put out there? It really spans all the way from a technical perspective and that initial monitoring all the way up to a programmatic strategic approach about where you take the the program next.
1: You covered quite a bit there. I think that's something that a lot of teams also struggle with because there's sort of this, they want to solve everything within their SOC or within their analytic group. And as things change and as capabilities are added and as the CISO or the supporting teams add more value, naturally, these discussions must leave the SOC. They must leave the security team. I'm fascinated by this because security teams often talk about how to be relevant and how to, how to do things for the business. And the funny thing is, is when they have to interact with quote unquote, the business, they, they often sort of fumble the ball as some may say, right? And so this touch point is, is incredibly important. Um, you don't want them to think that you're only a technician. You don't want them to think that you're trying to be big brother, as some may say or think. So, what do you recommend in general when someone's looking to have a relevant insider threat or trusted insider program? What would be your first couple of steps uh, for them to sort of kick that off, so they don't screw it up?
0: Moving outside of identity and even talking and thinking about infrastructure, if you are if you are monitoring your corporate infrastructure through a mission-centric approach, you can mirror that approach when you're monitoring identities. And as you do so, how you speak about insider threat or how you speak about overall threats in general and risk to the business is back to tying to that mission-centric approach. It is much easier to explain uh, risk and threats to a specific mission or operation when you're speaking in the same terminology, uh, referring to the same programs that these other business leaders oversee. And now you're speaking the same language and they start to understand what the risk and threat is to their program, to their product,
1: et cetera. I think that's an important one. Language matters to speak in sort of the currency of the other organization rather than sort of crowbarring uh, what we know into the chat. I want to go back to something you said earlier that I think is equally as important. I had a a gentleman on by the name of KT Boyle, who's fantastic. Uh, We were talking a little bit about insider threat, and he said something that you echoed. And uh, I like these, this sort of connective tissue. It's a trust first uh, mentality out of insider threat. And I think that gets more into how do we train our analysts? How do we train them into the right way of sort of cognitive management of things like insider threat or even responding to to incidents or creating them? How did you come about that mindset? Because many organizations don't. It's usually sort of infer negative rather than trust first. That's an important thing that I think is worth discussing at least briefly uh, as a Mindset, sort of the ethos of of insider threat. Can you spend a second on that?
0: I've seen analysts, in particular, just become completely overwhelmed with alerts and too many false positives. And I'm this is completely outside of uh, a false positive with tr- I guess your traditional threat actor. If we're talking about insider threat. Just completely overwhelmed and it continuously being a false positive. You get burnout at the end of the day. It's not the answer. Us as leaders are responsible for, yes, one, motivating our employees to consistently achieve for more and feel positive about their, their workplace environment. And the best way that I've seen to do that is being able to tie what they're monitoring, what they're working on, what they've been asked to do directly back to the business, directly back to the missions that our organization is going out there and achieving and how we are generating revenue for the organization. Those two items completely put a spin on and a perspective on uh, how these analysts see these alerts and how they act upon that.
1: And that mission-centric approach is the way that we've done it. So mission-centric is one thing. So, to have to be and I think a lot of organizations there are certain mantras or certain you know elements of mission that that I can think back that we would repeat almost daily and it it helps i think aligning it to how you we add value incredibly important. I think the other thing you mentioned that uh is sort of the the element of burnout, but it you know we tied it to false positives to me, what's worse? is it whether you're doing hunting or insider threat or some other, you know, analytic capability and you head down the wrong path. Would you rather head down the wrong path and not find anything or sort of just be ignorant to the problem, you know, because you're not going to find it every time. Hopefully you don't find it every time. If you do, it's another type of mess, right? But we as as thinkers, as hunters, as trained the people that are in these disciplines, they want to find stuff, right? You want to in in my uh, area of the country, people go mushroom hunting, uh, you know, the legal kind. And it's sort of a secretive kind of thing. And there's places to go and there's indications of where you might find them, but you never, it's always different. And it's the same sort of mindset. So I think reinforcing mission, the earlier point you said of keeping people as a trust first or a a positive mindset to say, not, you know, don't approach every incident or every uh, sort of Hypothesis as this person's negative, this is people are you know we're going to assume that the people that work for us are good uh, and not jerks. I think that's another great indicator. Anything else you'd add before we kind of move on to uh, kind of beyond insider threat
0: I think those are the the main points i I would echo that looking at this from the perspective of assume positive intent at the end of the day that's how I would summarize that is assume positive intent. I agree with you that the red herring Isn't necessarily a bad thing. And yes, analysts want to uh, dig and find something. However, understanding how the business operates, how data is moving, and how people are actually operating on that infrastructure, how they move and interact with that data, provides the context necessary to more easily determine if there is a negative or malicious intent with, with respect to identity
1: and insider threat. It's very difficult and often, well, for some, it's almost impossible, I would say, to know, is this normal or not? And there's a variety of reasons why. Impossible is not correct, but it's difficult to say, you and I have both investigated problems like this before, to say, well, you know, Steve's ID was involved in this problem has Steve's ID ever been used to perform this task before? That can be a very expensive thing to try to answer. Even as simple as it sounds, has Steve's ID ever done X before? And if you have the ability, I've before had to have uh, team members run queries that ran so long that it, it exhausted the available memory on the server that was running the query and the server fell over, like trying to find these answers, right? That's one of the fun things. If you've done much breach response or incident response, you'll, you'll encounter. I think just now we're getting to the point where we can get a little wiser about how we get these answers. We can use the brains of our analysts rather than sort of, you know, root through a lot of raw information. I think that's changing the way we look at this, the work of insider threat, threat hunting, and even intel programs, um, which is a fun thing to see utilize a tool to do some of the work rather than having to do it kind of all manually. Uh, is. If I were an analyst today, which I'm not anymore, I would be very kind of happy about that, I think.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And utilizing platforms like Exabeam and integrating those best-of-breed technologies from across the organization within to a, a platform as, as powerful as Exabeam definitely provides that context. And enhances that capability of that analyst. The interesting component of that is things really changed when we went to a remote, all remote workforce. What we're still working on today and and identification is being so discreet on each individual. And people are working from different homes, from coffee shops, you know, all around the world now. And how we're still trying to find that nugget of, What can we tie so specifically to this individual that informs us of that person's activity and their behavior that we would more easily identify what is uh, either malicious or anomalous versus, as you mentioned, just a change, right? It's just a change. It doesn't necessarily mean bad
1: or good at this point. Just quickly, I well, I appreciate the shout out, and and uh, Exabeam does pay the bills uh, in terms of hosting and all the rest. We did not prompt Tyler to say that, and nor did we encourage that. We usually keep uh, tool discussions out. I do agree with his statement, but uh, we keep this show as absolute neutral as possible. But um, I do appreciate uh, the confidence. You know, I think for those of you listening. If you agree with the things that Tyler shared before and believe he is experienced and knowledgeable or or shared interesting things, it's likely that he shared other positive information after uh, related to the platform he mentioned. But, um, you know, we we do this show to support sort of a body of knowledge that goes beyond any product. And, you know, while I'm very happy uh, that he's supportive and agree with what he said, we don't push any kind of agenda on the show. I feel it necessary to share that just because it's, uh, we, we try to keep this for the body of knowledge for the leader. Tyler, I, I'm flattered you would mention that uh, sort of uh, the, the uninitiated feedback on that. I, I think that it, no matter what you use as a platform, you have to look at things. And I would encourage you, and I want you to, to if you would back this up or, or refute it, you have to look at what are your goals? And then what is the time associated with getting to those goals? So if I'm asking my analyst to understand a certain behavior or or if I just want to know is, is something is a condition positive or negative? Has Steve ever done this before was the example I gave. Have we ever received a message from this domain before? Um, have we ever gone to this site? The, the "have we ever" questions are hard enough. Understanding what is normal for somebody in a certain job class, and so what I would encourage is that we begin to form a list of requirements uh, to say, what do I need to have sort of a modern program to reinforce the analyst? That is where I think the community needs to go rather than burning out the analyst, either burning them out via bad mission or what I'll call um, bad tasks, you know, sort of laborious uh, analytic tasks. Would you you generally agree to that? I would generally agree.
0: I, I think there's another component there. As you're trying to uh, understand and define what those goals and outcomes are, being even more discreet and tying it back to back to that mission or back to that the, the mission-centric architecture. And so, if we understand, we fly satellites and we push imagery down to customers, et cetera. There's an entire platform there. There's an entire life cycle of data and how that moves. What are the outcomes and goals that We would want to achieve from a cybersecurity perspective and an operations and security monitoring perspective with respect to a mission like that, with respect to those types of operations. Because we understand the very nature and the sophistication of threat actors in this space, how uh, interested they are in data and, and disrupting operations within that space. What are the goals and outcomes that we would want to achieve? That would number one protect that infrastructure, and number two be able to quickly identify if there was breach, as an example, or a malicious uh, indicator of compromise that we could then easily identify, and then have those discussions with our business partners on the risks that we are we're seeing in these types of environments.
1: You talk about the business partner often, uh, and I love hearing that. You talked about the risk working group. That's fantastic. I think that's a wonderful ingredient. If you were to give a mix, is it mainly you informing them of what use cases they should care about? Or is it them asking you to say, hey, I have this problem? Which of the two is it?
0: It's really around the latter at this point, but that's not easy, was not easy to create that. It does take work what I call is a community-based approach. There's never enough folks that we are able to hire, as I'm sure many others face that challenge. And so people have to either carry the, the security title or, or that responsibility, especially that responsibility across the organization. And you find a lot of people passionate about ensuring that the products that they develop or that they sell, et cetera, They want to be secure and they want to uh, assure our customers as well. And as you begin to develop that community and develop that risk-aware culture, the Our Security Solution approach, you start to change the perception of these business partners to where they're thinking about these things. And they may come to you through a risk-working group. They may come to you ad hoc through your messaging platform or email platform of choice. But it, it is a culture change and it does take time to get out there and, and change that culture with those business partners in the community
1: at large. I was going to say, which, what's the makeup of kind of is it them initiating or you initiating and then being pretty sure that it wouldn't have started that way. So whatever your answer was, I, it sounds like it was relatively mature, but I was waiting for you to say, but it didn't start that way. And, and uh, sure as hell you, that's exactly what you said. Because I think many organizations, they want to be in a spot where people come to them, but they're still out trying to gain confidence of everyone that they can do it and do it well, right? That, there, that there's a value add in the program. So maybe if you'd spend a second on just talking about how did you get started? If it didn't, if it didn't begin this way, you had to go out and sort of sell this idea. Is there any trick to that? The easiest
0: way and the way that I, I never uh, like to take, however, sometimes you do, is always take advantage of uh, a crisis. And your number one way, unfortunately, is through something as, as uh, big as a cyber incident and, and utilize uh, what happened and those lessons learned to discuss those risks with partners. And if you have to instill some fear that you don't want this to happen to your platform, to your product. Let's work together. That does work. Uh, you have to balance how much FUD that you you do instill upon that individual. The other piece though is really around what we call cyber assurance. You start you're seeing the US government obviously pushing very hard for various cybersecurity certifications. Uh, however, our, the commercial basis is doing the same thing. You see demand for SOC 2s and ISOs and everything else under the sun. And even Socks these days, is becoming more and more cybersecurity-focused. So there are multiple um, ways to, to do this. But I see that the best way to do that is through, again, business partnership. And how do we assure our customers, cy- providing cyber assurance to our customers that will increase and enable revenue? You have to tell me the risks though you have to we have to talk about those risks and how we get ahead of this at the end of the day. We've seen tremendous value in doing uh, that and taking that approach uh to where they have started to come to me versus me going to them perfect
1: yeah, no that's I know it doesn't start there at, at all. You know it's funny, I've got all these other notes, but I think at the time we're at one of the questions I asked you when we spoke last was kind of what was irritating you about our industry. And there's a lot of things. We all have a long list of things that that upset us. But one of the things you mentioned was just hesitation around cloud adoption. Why is that sort of an irritant uh, to you and what sort of the cost with that hesitation in general?
0: Yeah, I think in general, we get so spun up on the perfect state of a secure and really the the word that, I want to hit home on here is a compliant environment. And we are willing to wait for a partner to build and get to that compliance state. I'll tell you right now that none of these advanced persistent threats or these cybercrime groups are waiting for your vendors of choice in the security space to go get. SOC 2 certified. And in order to stay ahead of these advanced persistent threats and the sophistication that they just continuously build upon, we need to utilize forward leaning next-generation technologies that are best of breed. We cannot continue to wait simply for compliance. We have to find an appropriate balance. And I don't see that today. I don't see us moving fast enough to get ahead of some of these sophisticated threat actors.
1: I agree. In my experience, you could have a miserable environment, but as long as it was compliant, as long as you wouldn't have, you know, an auditor in that would, you know, write up some sort of nasty finding, it really didn't matter because a failed audit means that executives don't get their bonus, and that's that's in their language, right? in many cases, but a condition that's present on a network that you and I know is a great risk, you know, back to, you know, do we have this sort of hypothesis that something could happen? You know, hey, we know there's something that's that's actively being exploited or a a condition in our environment or a lack of a capability. No one will often care unless the auditor writes it up. And they often don't because there's not an alignment between you know, is this a a resilient environment versus is this a compliant one? And so we end up putting our time into things that fit well into auditor's work papers or sort of compliance control framework. It's one of the most frustrating things in my career period. And there's not a quick fix to it. The only one is, is just talking about, look, rather than thinking about maturity, let's talk about efficacy. And that takes a lot of what you, I believe, are doing, which is this sort of relationship management outside of technology. It's a big issue.
0: Yeah, absolutely. That compliance is the bailiwick of the corporate attorney, not the the CISO's organization. And while we value compliance from the perspective of revenue enablement, you know, third party audit, et cetera, that will not stop again, sophisticated threat actors. And I'm full alignment with leveraging Your security control framework of choice to inform the types of security controls that you want to implement into your environment. However, being able to check a box that says implemented and here's why is never enough. And that continuous monitoring and getting to that next level of those behavioral analytics, the machine learning, even looking at even more advanced technologies and not waiting for whatever that technology is to be compliant will at least drive you much more ahead of of many of our cybersecurity organizations today
1: the issue i have with many of the control frameworks is that, again it doesn't it very rarely gets into how the the efficacy of your program so do i have the capability to do x do i have the capability to identify let's say the use of uh, likely compromised credentials, either from my, in my supply chain or on premise. Like it'll say things like, well, you know, use IAM and you right use strong, like it's telling you sort of what to do, but there's no sort of velocity behind a capability. And that's what really irritates me. Even recently, and I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit here, and you don't have to comment if you don't want to, but you know, the White House makes recommendations around ransomware, and that's fantastic. I have no issue with that. But a lot of the recommendations, even from the draft document from NIST, reads like, well, make sure you have anti-malware software installed and uh, make sure that you use two-factor authentication. But in no no place does it talk about things like understanding uh, stolen credentials and their use, looking at precursor malware, RDP misuse, uh, sort of under management of that. Nowhere does it discuss that. Or capabilities to understand and respond. So, while I appreciate the airtime, and I'm sure that auditors are going to ask a lot about ransomware now, uh, they're not going to get into just ransomware as an intrusion. And if you're bad at that, you're going to be really bad at sort of managing ransomware. It's sort of the same thing, but this is just the topic of ransomware. I hope you've got thoughts on that too. It's been really irritating me uh, of late.
0: No, I agree with you. If you pick that one of those control frameworks, and absolutely does it does it at least provide you some thinking points? Yes, yes, 100%. It definitely does not address some of the items that you mentioned. And it kind of leads us to the question, the million dollar question around uh, how secure are we? And uh, that's not easy to answer. If you start to look again at your, your infrastructure from that mission centric approach and understand at least from what you know, right, through risk assessments and through monitoring, et cetera, what the posture is of these environments and specifically around critical services and data assets, you can start to tell your story in a different way. You can start to tell your story around how am I improving the risk posture of this specific critical asset? And The answer to that question or the answers as you continuously uh, mature your risk posture are some of those items that you just mentioned. They're much more tactical in nature, but they, they tell the true story of how you are improving your cybersecurity across the organization, as well as address what truly is important and is going to mitigate and remediate risk versus checking a box on a security control plan.
1: This is absolutely ripped by which are the best shows. I've got one more question for you, sir. Uh, Pursuant to the name of our show, which is the new CISO, what does being a new CISO mean to you?
0: Defending data and corporate information systems while enabling revenue and business velocity.
1: That's actually a very, that's a very specific answer. Like that's, almost a mission statement. Uh, I appreciate that greatly. Uh, Tyler, I can't thank you enough uh, for sharing just a little bit of what you know uh, with us today. I know the listeners uh, will appreciate it. One of the best parts of my week is receiving feedback from those that listen, people I may never meet, but to say, hey, this helped me interview for my job or helped me uh, work on a problem that I'm having at work and just, you know, making the individual or the or both better. And, and Tyler, you've contributed to that greatly today. I can't thank you enough. Yes. Thank you for having me today, Steve. It's great being here. That's it for this episode of the new CISO. Thank you for listening. Check out more episodes on exabeam.com forward slash podcast, and remember to rate, review, and subscribe to get brand new episodes first.